Hey, Establish. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and if you've been on this journey with us for, for a while now, you know that we're pushing into, into really what is a deep dive into the middle part of Romans, or so Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And we've been pushing into this for a while now. We had two weeks off, so the first week of that break was Joel Deacon of City on a Hill in Wollongong, who basically preached on enjoying God. And hopefully that was a real blessing and encouragement to you as it was to me. And last week we actually, last week we actually had one of our um, ex-staff members, a guy called James Eyre, come and preach on being ambassadors for grace. Now those talks are on YouTube. You can go and find them. Um, they're also on our podcasts, by the way, which we've been updating. We haven't done that a lot, a lot through, um, through COVID. So you can find any of that material on our YouTube or just search for Established Church on your podcast app and be able to find any of those talks. This is the second last talk on Romans. And I'm just really taking a very small, discreet chunk, really only three verses and pushing into it in some depth. And Lee's going to come and wrap it up for us next week. So hopefully you're getting a lot out of it. Um, hopefully it's really encouraging you and building you up, especially at this weird time. Now, um, as Paul's been talking through Romans, I really think you could sum up, particularly chapter 8, as hope through suffering. Hope through persecution, hope through uncertainty, hope through hard circumstances, even joy in hard circumstances. Now, if you're anything like me, the truth is, and I feel like our culture to some degree kind of hardwires us for this, but I think it might be a human nature thing as well. But the truth is, I kind of root or embed my joy and my happiness and my contentment into the things in my life that are happening. And so I've, well, if I'm happy or not, it's really dependent on my, you know, my vocational sort of status or my financial status or my relational status or my economic status or even my physical status. Those things to a very large degree dictate how I'm feeling about life, if I'm happy or if I'm joyous. And I feel like this really reflects kind of our culture. If life, life is going well, then you're happy. If life is not going well, then you are not happy. It's quite simple. Life is tied to our circumstances. I wonder if the Bible, well, I don't think I wonder, I actually know, that the Bible would challenge this quite strongly. And Paul, I think really all through Romans 8, but perhaps in these verses more than any other verses, is pointing us to that truth that in spite of circumstances, in spite of really hard, challenging and difficult circumstances, we can still have deep, profound, satisfying joy in Jesus. In spite of difficult, painful, unpleasant, uncertain circumstances that to some degree I think we're all experiencing in this period and season of life, we can have deep joy in Jesus. It's a joy that's separate to our circumstances. And so I've really boiled this kind of, this talk, this, this sort of message down into two main movements. The, the first is that bad things ultimately turn out for our good. Bad things ultimately turn out for our good. What an amazing thing to say. Bad things turn out for our good. And I think it's amazing, really, because it goes against the whole culture in which Paul works and lives and breathes, but also our own, modern, our own modern culture. And what do I mean? Well, the whole idea of religious practice in Paul's time, in Paul's context, was you tried to appease the gods to make your life good. 
He tried to make them happy, and there's a whole bunch of processes and rituals and, and systems by which that happened. But you did that to make your life good. And yet Paul's saying that sometimes life is bad. And yet even in God's control and sovereignty, he can use that for his own good. That's essentially what he says in verse 28. I've got three ideas that flow out of that. But let, let me explain as we work our way through. This is a big passage. Let's take our time. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, good and bad, is what he's saying, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Now, overlying this is this idea of God's sovereignty, of God's being in complete control, of God working in both good circumstances, but also through bad. And he's bringing them about and manufacturing them and using them for his purposes is what Paul's talking about. And there's three ideas I think we can kind of really boil it down to. The first is that, and this comes across from all of Romans 8, by the way, is that all things, good and bad, happen to Christians. All things, good and bad, happen to Christians. Now, when I first became a Christian, I remember thinking that my life would suddenly become healthy, wealthy and wise. I remember thinking that at the very least it was going to get a lot easier. Now don't get me wrong, I was filled with an internal joy. I was filled with a, with a spiritual abundance. I felt alive in Jesus. But the truth is, kind of physically or in a worldly sense or in a tangible sense, my life didn't actually really get better at all. I'd say in some ways my life actually became worse. I wonder if that echoes your experience. The truth is, even though you're in Jesus, you are not immune to the suffering of the world. You are not immune to the suffering of the world. Just like everyone else, Christians get sick. Just like everyone else, Christians get cancer. Just like everyone else, Christians lose their jobs. Just like everyone else, Christians suffer from COVID or the kind of global effects of a global pandemic. Just like everyone else, we suffer the burdens and the hardships of life. What did Shakespeare call it? The slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We all, to some degree, are on this mortal coil. I'm ripping him off there again. It's the experience of everyone on this planet. Remember what he says here, or later in verse 35, it's not actually in the reading directly. Who, some translations say, what, shall separate us from the love of of Christ. Look at, the, look at the things that he labels here. This, this is for Jesus, Jesus' followers, Christians. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Shall they separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, Paul's saying those things because they are realities for those he's, to whom he's writing in the first century. Now, I don't engage with many swords. But I do engage with other things. I do have troubles and hardships, maybe even persecutions in my own way. Bad things, all things, good things and bad things happen to Christians. I think the second idea that we can get from this, from this passage, or this verse rather, is that when things come together for good, it is because of God. When things come together for good, it is because of God. I don't know if you really do that. Do you take that seriously? This whole idea that even the best things in your life come from God. 
the best relationships, the, the, the best work opportunities, you know, the best joys, the best hobbies, the best um, entertainments, the best um, family situations. They all come from God, the best privileges of living in a relatively affluent Western Sydney, Sutherland Shire society in 2021. They, they, they come from God. Little blessings, big blessings, they all come from him. I used this word before, but theologians use a big word to describe this phenomenon, sovereignty. God's in control. God deserves the praise for both the good and the bad. There's an old song, it's not really, well, it's not that old actually, but my old church used to sing it. You know, everything I have on earth is given by the king, so I will give my life my all to honour and serve him. Is that your heart's response this afternoon? Even the blessings and the securities that you may be engaging with in this pandemic lockdown situation, the blessings. Good things that come from God. And thirdly, and this is kind of a big nugget that I think Paul's trying to hit us home with, or hit home here. The bad things happen, they work for good. Though bad things happen, they work for good. I think it's really important what Paul doesn't say. Paul does not say that for every cloud, there's going to be a silver lining. Paul does not say that for every situation or door in your life that closes, another one is going to open. I think if he did say that, he'd be dishonest because that's not our life, is it? That's not the experience that we live, even as Jesus' followers. Paul's not saying those things. He doesn't pretty up existence, does he? He doesn't try and make it nicer than it is. He doesn't try and make it easier than it is. The reality is that some people's hearts are going to get broken and they're probably going to stay broken. There may not be a Prince Charming or a Princess Charming who comes in and sweeps them off their feet. There's some people who may lose a job and not get another one or not get one to the same level or not get one in the same industry or not have their dream opportunity open up for them. There's some people who will lose a loved one and that wound never, ever heals. And it's a bold statement Paul is saying here. Paul's living in the same world we're in. He's in the same existence that you and I are in. He's saying through bad things, even the worst things, even in a worldly sense, the unhappy endings, God is working for good. Even the situations without a silver lining, even the broken hearts without a happy ending. We're all wrestling with this to some degree. We're all coming to terms that even through painful things and things that grieve us and things that keep us up awake at night, God is working for our good. But do you need to hear that? Do you need to be challenged in that this evening? It's a difficult truth. It's a painful truth. It's a hard truth. Luckily, it's not without hope, though. And so we really need to bear in mind what actual good Paul is talking about. We can't read verse 28 without reading what comes 
next. And so that really pushes into my next kind of big idea. I only have two points with a couple of sort of sub points, if you bear with me. So what's my second point? Well, the idea that good things can never be lost. God's working an eternal reality and truth and reward and fruit inside of us through these temporal, unpleasant, painful situations. And so look, I've got kind of three observations. It's kind of like a building process. That's my first one. Look what he says here in verse 29. Verse 29 flows out of verse 28. And I know that because of this word for, at the beginning of 29, verse 29. For, so he takes that as flowing out from verse 28, this idea of God working for our, for our good. Verse 29, for God, those God which foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, it's like a building process, right? It's like layers. So he foreknew, it's the first layer, kind of the middle layer, he predestined. And then the top layer, the kind of crown of this plan, this building scaffolding idea, is this idea of being conformed. Conformed to what? The image of his son. That he might be the first uh, firstborn from amongst many brothers and sisters. Those brothers and sisters are you and me. BT doves. So those layers, right? He foreknew, he predestined, conformed to the image of his son. That's kind of like the, the big spine on the top. But what's the work that achieves this? What's, what's the process by which all this happens? Well, he's been saying that in verse 28. In all things, through the circumstances of our life, God is working bad things, good things, things that make us fill our, fill our hearts with joy and satisfaction, but also things which are brutally and horribly painful. God is working for what good? This building process, what's the work? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be like Jesus. That's the second idea. This idea of being conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, I must admit, probably my youthful kind of ignorance, really, but I remember reading that and hearing that when I first became a Christian and thinking, okay, like, why is that a good thing? Why do I want to be like Jesus? And that, that, just, just hear me out for a second. Like, I'm, I'm Tim. I'm an individual. I'm um, who I am. Why, why would I want to be conformed to someone else, be that, even if that is Jesus? Um, what, 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 do, I, do I lose my individuality? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that episode of The Simpsons. I know not everyone loves The Simpsons like I do, but there's um, one of those Halloween episodes when they have those kind of vignettes, and one of them was where Ned Flanders is the, is the lord and supreme ruler of the universe. And Ned being Ned, he's a, he's a good character, but a very moralistic kind of character, and he tries to force everyone to be exactly like him. So everyone's dressing up like him. Everyone needs to say the same things as him. Everyone needs to smile like him. Um, he, he called it re-nedification, so he had to be nedified. And I remember thinking when I was a young Christian, is that what this is like? I'm going to be conformed to Jesus? I, I want to be conformed to myself. I think we need to understand what Paul's alluding to here. I think Paul's alluding to something that happened right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, you know, where Adam, the, the, the first pure, perfect human, before sin, of course, was made in what? God's image. So he imaged God. He was God's representative on the planet Earth. He was representative and given jobs and given a task. He was to image God 
in the world, of course, because of sin, because of selfishness, because of brokenness, we, we have marred that image. And then when Jesus came, he actually was a perfect reflection of the image of God. Paul says this in Romans 5, doesn't he? That he was, what, the new Adam. In other words, he's the new imager of God. And so we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus because he's the perfect human. He's the representative, representative of the perfect humanity. In essence, when I become more like Jesus, I actually become more like who I'm supposed to be. It's like all the good things in me, but all the messed up, selfish stuff being pushed to the side. And how does that happen? Well, I wish it happened, walking up to the top of a mountain, you know, praising God. But the truth is, Paul's saying that process of becoming more like Jesus happens on the road to suffering and hardship probably more often than being filled with joy and happiness. But even in spite of those hard things and even the most difficult things in our life, God is working that ultimate good, that amazing good, to be transformed into his image. Tim Keller, who puts everything much better than I do, by the way, says it like this, Jesus didn't suffer so that we wouldn't suffer, but so that when we suffer, we can become like him. So that's the second kind of sub-point this idea of a building process, like the layers, pointing to the second idea, we're becoming image bearers, we're becoming um, conformed to the image of Jesus. And number three, all this has already happened, these good things that can never be lost have already happened. Look at the tense in which Paul writes, this comes up in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he, this is verse 30, by the way. Those he justified, he also glorified. Look at the tense. Just, just notice the tense. And tense is a big thing in, in Greek, the original language in which this was written. Um, tense is a big thing. And those he predestined, when did that happen? In the past. We read about that in Ephesians 1, don't we? He, um, he foreknew and predestined those who, who are in Jesus before the very foundations of the earth were laid. He, this is past tense. This is a book that's already been written, in other words. Um, it also says he, he, um, he also called, he called us, past tense. Those he called, he also what he justified. That's referring to what Jesus did on the cross where he paid for my sins. He made me justified before God through his sacrifice. He justified me. And again, this is slightly what he's saying here. Those he justified, he also glorified. And if you remember to my talk a couple of weeks ago from the verses that precede this, Paul basically gives these struggling, suffering Christians a hope in the glory that's going to come in the next age. And now what Paul is saying here is alluding to that, but also in the present tense or even the past tense. We're glorified. What's he doing? Well, he's kind of pointing us to the end of the story. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those TV shows or one of those movies that show the ending first. Um, I think one of the most kind of common examples is one of the more recent Avengers movies. I think it's the one where Captain America and um, Tony Stark, Iron Man, are you know, punching on, trying to kill each other. They show the ending as one of the very first things in the whole movie. And Paul's kind of doing that here, but he's not doing it to build up tension. He's actually doing it to what? Assure. He's actually doing these things to assure people. 
And this is where I think sometimes all the arguments about predestination and about foreknowledge, about calling, about justification, are actually a little bit missing the mark because I don't think it's a way to exclude people. I think it's actually a way that Paul is using these words to actually assure people that they're actually already in. He's showing us the end of the movie, the end of the story, before it happens. We'll kind of, <laughs> don't even unwind that, but he's showing us the end of the movie before we can see the ending. The assurance and all the good things that God is working in you and bringing about in you all the, and this is a big theological word, but sanctification, which all, all basically is, is a paraphrasing of what Paul has said in verse 30, or 29 rather, being conformed to the image of his son, becoming more like Jesus. All those things that God has been working and building and shaping in you can never be taken away. For those he predestined, he called those he called, he also justified those he justified, he also glorified. I think he's using these huge words, big cosmic realities, eternal significance to give you an assurance that in spite of the present hardships and struggles and suffering of life on this planet, our, 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 our eternal history is assured. Nothing can take this away. Do you need to hear that? That even in bad things, God turns them for good. And the good things that God is bringing about in you right now, through your hardships, through your strugglings, through your disappointments, through your hurts, through even the most difficult things in your life, they can never be taken away. Indeed, they're going to shine on for eternity in glory. Let me pray as we wrap up. Uh, Lord, thank you so much uh, yeah, that we can yeah, celebrate um, these truths that even through the most difficult and painful of situations, you are working for our glory. Thank you so much that you are working and shaping us to be more like Jesus. We don't need to be afraid of that. That's somehow shrinking my identity, but it's actually building my identity and making me a more complete version of myself. But help us to not just intellectually understand these things, but really bed them in our hearts to really bed them in our experience, that you are working in good things, but even the most difficult of such situations. And as we as a church wrestle with what it looks like to get maybe back to physical gatherings or partly physical gatherings or different ways that we're going to talk about that, Lord, give us wisdom, give us courage, that you are in control and sovereign over all things. Help us to understand that you are the author of all history, that you predestined us in your foreknowledge to be found in you before the foundation of all creation. Give us <laughs> yeah, faith and, and hope in that. Reassure us because of that amazing truth. Warm our hearts with your love and your regard for us right now. Amen.